Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Served by SHFM, your food service hospitality podcast. The Society for Hospitality and Food Service Management is a community of like-minded professionals seeking educational, developmental, and networking opportunities to enrich their personal and professional goals. Hello, and welcome back to Serve by SHFM, your food service hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Michael Moore, and in today's episode, we're talking about the evolution of an executive chef, what's driven those changes, and really what we see coming in the culinary world. Uh, and today, we have one of the best in, one of the best in the industry. We are joined by an award-winning chef. He's an author. He's a food stylist, a photographer. He has over 30 years of experience in this industry, Mr. Chris Aquilino, Chef Chris Aquilino, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thanks so much, Michael. Yeah, that um, that intro makes me sound really old. So, um, <laughs> but but accomplished, but accomplished, but accomplished at the same sure, time. Sure. <laughs> and and I, I think it's you know it's a. I know you're busy. You are one of the one of the few people in any way, shape, or form that can never be described as being stagnant at any point, like Mm -hmm. not in the day, not in your career, not in your life. It's just not something that resonates with you. What are you working on now? I mean, you're always doing something different. What's going on now? Yeah. uh, Great question. And I think the ADD really has a lot to do with that. (laughs) Um, But I also think that that's, um, that's, part of a chef's story or, or many chefs that I know. But so what I'm working on now is uh, I just launched a new culinary group where we do culinary consulting, um, uh, photography, food styling, and a myriad of creative services. Um, actually have some partners that will do virtual kitchen designs. And wow. you and I can literally on two different coasts, pop on a VR headset and uh, walk through the space and oh, be able to, awesome. you know, yeah, and, and be able to say, hey, you know, if the combi was three three feet to the left, what would it look like? Um, and oh, the nice. really, the really cool part about that then becomes, what would it, what would it feel like, and how would cooking differ if you move? Wow. Like you know, how the flow uh, of food would change, and and how exactly uh, the metrics behind because that's that's something that's that exactly unless right. you. Yeah, that's it's something unless you've done it, understanding how important it is, the the flow of food service and the culinary production and, and where you place burners versus flat tops versus regions right. is is so important. And it's one of those things that once it's on paper and it's signed off on, you might show up the day of and, and realize that, that that wasn't something you wanted. But if you can do that on a headset and kind of experience it in that way, that's a game changer, exactly. I feel like. Yeah, it, it is a game changer. And, and honestly, that's where uh, the idea came from, because as a as a chef or operator, we've been thrown the keys of many kitchens that have been already built, you mm-hmm. know, with all the way from the, the designer to the architect to the general contractor. And you walk in and you're like, who, you know, who yeah. designed this? I mean, ergonomic, we all talk about ergonomics, but then mm-hmm. you just talk about the the flow of food and, and just the flow of the kitchen. I mean, it, it is a hundred percent a dance um, yeah. and everything has to work congruently. And, you know, so this gives you that opportunity to kind of hit the pause button and say, what if um, doing that? I'm certainly, you know, I'm uh, still working as brand ambassador for a couple of, um, couple of companies, uh, you know, really sustainable seafood companies, things of that nature. Um, ultimately always trying to find the balance between uh, the business side and the creative side. Yeah. And, and how does that dovetail into you getting your 12 to 15 hours of sleep a night? 
It's 12 to 15 hours uh, asleep a month, I think is right. The, right, 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 yeah, right, right, the better right, way yeah. to say it. No, um, <laughs> you know, I really, I, I think it's a good balance. I think it's a good balance because when, when I'm on, I'm on. When I'm off, I'm off. Yeah, I, I get it. And you, yeah, yeah, you have, I think the balance part is really underappreciated in our industry. And, um, but knowing how important it is to being productive in the long term, um, right. fi finding that balance is tough. So, um, I, you know, in, in, I guess in that regard, I appreciate you taking some time out of all the other stuff that you're working on, jumping on with us today. And, you know, I guess fun fact for our listeners, uh, you are actually the person to get me involved in SHFM back in 2019. Uh, when you told me to come out to Palm Springs and, and you said, this is a great organization, just come check it out, talk to some chefs. And yeah. at, th at that point, I, I was like, okay, sure. And you, and you still did it. And I said, well, I trust, because I, I trust you. I trust, I've known, I, I don't know how long I've known, you know, what, seven, seven years or so. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been, we're, we're going on a decade. We're pushing for it. I like it. Um, nice. But nice. yeah, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I'll go out there. Fine. And, uh, and I'm sure most people have heard me tell this story before, but after being there for a couple of hours, I canceled all my business in LA besides one meeting I had to take drove through the night, drove right back and spent the week in Palm Springs just because I saw the quality of people there. And that wouldn't happen mm. if, if, you know, you didn't push me in the right direction. So I think this is That's great. One, of, one of those things where, you know, where you got to give, give credit and let people know what a little nudge can do sometimes from someone that, you know, has your best interests in mind. And that's, you know, yeah. it's, it's really helped my, my career take the next level. So just you know, pre appreciate that. But um, I think, you know, going into it, every chef has a fun story and it's, everyone knows this is one of my favorite parts of the podcast, but in the culinary world, chefs are such dynamic creatures by nature. They're fascinating. Um, and everybody has their own culinary career that, that took them different places. They probably never thought they would go, but, and made probably a lot of interesting decisions along the way. So I want to unwrap yours a little bit. Let's, let's go back to that beautiful baby boy early in his career who did, did you grow up loving cooking or, you know, what drew you to the, to the life? Yeah. Um, so interestingly enough, I, I think my story is a little bit different than, than, uh, more, most chefs. And, um, I've had this discussion with, uh, you know, I used to work with, um, on culinary advisory boards for like, um, you know, commercial equipment companies or whatever, and, and really trying to walk through what my journey was. It was interesting to hear the difference between myself and some other chefs. So the difference really is, so I'm, let's say three to three to four years old. Um, my parents, uh, and to their credit, didn't, you know, just give me the GI Joe or whatever the, the, the toy was that I wanted. Uh, they also gave me, you know, uh, my brother and I, a pack of modeling clay. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, dude, I was not without that modeling clay until I was, you know, well into art school. Um, and wow. even then still, still playing with it to, to manipulate that, uh, that malleable thing in front of me. And so I started looking at, I started looking at the world like that. Right. So everything is kind of malleable. Everything is kind of, you put in, you put something in, you get something out. Yeah. Right? Um, and then cooking always uh, ran almost parallel to this whole idea of like, you know, food is art. We've heard that, but, um, the process, 
mm-hmm. understanding the process of cooking, understanding how you uh, how you can look at a, a recipe or a technique and break it down and, and really get down to those um, to those nano details, those micro mm-hmm. details, um, and be able to say, well, you know, if I did this a little bit differently, or if I did this a little bit differently, the outcome would be uh, yeah. would be different. So as I, uh, as the story goes, I was about five years old. I asked my mother how long I needed to keep the uh, muffins in the oven for, meaning I had already mixed them, already put them in the oven. They were already in the pan um, mm-hmm. and the oven was on. And, and lo and behold, right. I was on that journey of starting to figure out like, well, Hey, if I can do this here, I can do this with other things. Um, a lot of my, uh, a lot of my comfort in the kitchen and a lot of my inspiration was my grandmother and my great grandmother. Um, Great grandmother was, you know, the quintessential uh, Italian grandmother in New York City, mm-hmm. like spoke very little English. But when we would go there, her love language was food. Mm-hmm. And man, I watched this, um, uh, watched this until she passed. Uh, and she was, I mean, she was always in the kitchen, even when it was hard for her to get around. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I just kind of saw the, the, as I said, that love language of, uh, being able to, to create food and how that, how that worked in my family, how that was her, her way of showing, you know, care or, um, uh, really just her expression. And I understood that that expression, albeit in food was very similar to the experience I was having, um, you know, with that parallel of art. And as I was going through, um, as I was going through high school, I was a really crappy student mm-hmm. uh, because none of it really spoke to me. So I ended up, um, I ended up barely finishing, but going into a vocational program to where I was cooking uh, half the day. And lo and behold, my my uh, uh, my grades shot up, and I was, you know, beyond bit by the bug. I was then looking at, well, maybe I do want to go to college. Maybe I do want to figure out what's next for me. So um, it was you- it was a really interesting journey. But I, as again, like I said, I don't think there's a lot of chefs that can see that parallel side by side. It, it, it is. And you, and you bring up such a fascinating point when you think about our industry and it is, if you think of most of the um, prominent names in it, they, they tend to be male. And yet, when you ask a lot of them their story, how did you get inspired? What brought you to food? Oh, my mom, my grandma. Right, right. And it, it's, it's such a, an interesting, you know, um, misconception of, you know, where really where all this influence comes. Does it come from, you know, these chefs that have made names for themselves? Or does it really come from the people behind them, the family, you know, the, the Italian grandmother, the French grandmother or Hungarian or whatever that, whatever that ethnicity and background is and this history there, like where it comes from, it's, it's fascinating that, you know, in in your story too, you know, mom and grandma or great grandma influenced so much Mm -hmm. of what you did. Um, and, and so you, you, you found this balance, you found that um, your grades would improve once you, you kind of balanced it out with that creative, I think, outlet, maybe, maybe that's the right yeah. word for it. So, yeah. I mean, what did you do after that? Did you go start working in kitchens or, or what was the next step? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was, I was working in kitchens from 13 on. Um, I literally have not been, except for the last few years, I've not been without a kitchen that I would go to daily. 
Um, so when I was 13 years old, um, completely illegal and under the table, uh, working at a friend's, <laughs> friend's parents' uh, pizza restaurant. Um, it's since closed, so they can't get in trouble. Uh, but it was in Lake George, New York. It was, you know, one of the busiest, uh, one of the busiest places on the strip, which is, it's a, it's a tourist town. So like mm -hmm. summertime was, was just gangbusters and mm -hmm. we would do, you know, 300 covers in a day. And it was, it was bedlam and I loved it. <laughs> right. I started as a, I started literally be below the dishwasher, like a dishwasher's assistant. Yeah. Um, and I ended up doing some, uh, doing some dishwashing. I think he cut himself or whatever, um, cut his hand. So I ended up kind of stepping into that role. Um, the next year I was invited back to kind of see what prep would look like. And, mm -hmm. you know, I had already been, as I said, you know, home wise, uh, really getting into cooking and trying to understand, you know, if this was something that was going to, feed my soul, um, and hoping that this experience would turn into something and, and definitely did. I started prepping Then I was working with, um, uh, the next summer I was actually on the line cooking. Mm -hmm. And by that time, um, by that time I was starting those vocational classes, mm -hmm. uh, and really getting into cooking and the idea of like, I went from, you know, a dishwasher to, uh, now, 34 years later, good God, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, being the national corporate executive chef for one of the lar largest food service corporations in the world as my prior job. Now chief culinary officer for, for my own gig. And I mean, just those small, um, just those small, uh, kind of origin stories that you, you think about, yeah. um, Man, I've I've been lucky enough to work with like three master chefs in my career, and tons of um, amazing friends and chefs, and you know, um, so a lot of the celebrity chef side and, and all that stuff. But it's it's insane to think that that all started with yeah know, that that pizza restaurant in um, whatever it was nineteen eighty something, <laughs> which which is it's you know starting at the very very bottom is one of the hardest i think things you can do in in any career but in culinary it's you know it's not just mentally grueling it's physically grueling and the pay is yeah. terrible it just is what right. it is but right um it gives you such a, a profound and um complete understanding i think of all aspects of the kitchen once you've made it to the top or made sure. it to the exec chef or something that to i think to skip those parts as hard as they are is often you know a disservice to your own career because you'll never quite relate to you know, what the dishwasher is going through, which everybody, you know, that's done it knows that's the hardest spot in any kitchen is to be the dishwasher. It's, yeah. it's just grueling. Yeah. Um, it is grueling. And so, so kind of looking at that, you, you know, you clawed your way up, you found what you're passionate about at five years old or, or something like that. What, what are some of the more, you know, was there a spot where you said I made it where, you know, or there were there certain points in your career where that just kind of resonate with you stories that you're like, yeah, that was, that was the next step. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I will say that, uh, you know, what was it? 2018 hanging out in Palm Springs at the SHFM, uh, mm -hmm. national didn't, that didn't suck by any stretch. Um, <laughs> you know, that yeah. was, that was, that was a good, that was a high point, but no, I've, I've actually been really blessed with, you know, um, I've been really blessed with opportunities to do 
uh, more more on the innovation or strategy side with mm -hmm. food service. Um, yeah, and I can definitely cite like there was a trip to Los Angeles that I took with uh, a bunch of my peers that um, we actually had celebrity chef Jet Tila uh, mm -hmm. bring us around and taste food for the week, right? Mm -hmm. And it was really just about this whole idea of uh, emerging, excuse me, uh, immersion into the culture. And it was very veg centric at the, at the time, but looking at, looking at trends and being there firsthand, something that I normally would read in a magazine, I was there mm -hmm. immersed in it and thinking, well, you know, this is incredible. Um, this is incredible to, to actually be here. And that, and that travel element really wasn't something that I had done prior. Um, always would wanted to, but hadn't mm -hmm. done prior. Yeah. So that was a, you know, that was also a really great moment. I've been able to cook for Jose Andres. I've been able to do, you know, um, just incredible things that I don't, I think that, you know, I, I already bore my kids with these stories, but, uh, <laughs> as, as you someday, should, as I should, exactly. Um, I'll be able to look back and, and view my career from a standpoint of growth of my own, but also, you know, the incredible people that I got to hang out with and mm -hmm. do podcasts with and um, <laughs> crazy stuff I, like that, man. I appreciate the lie. <laughs> there you go. Never, never. Uh, and I, I guess, you know, in, and you're talking about looking back, but let's look forward for a second. Yeah. Where, where do you see yourself? Like, do you see what comes next or is, is every day and every opportunity kind of, you know, you take it as it comes. Do you have like a, a plan for where you evolve to? Or is there an end point where you say, yeah. this is what I've always wanted to become, or this is where I've always wanted to be? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I don't, I know I definitely have a goal. I definitely have an end goal. And the end goal is really doing what I'm doing currently, but um, continuing to scale up the business. And one of the things with like further culinary group is that I bring on subject matter experts to my team mm -hmm. as needed. Right. So um, these are, these are, you know, great friends and, and industry experts in their own right, but just being able to broaden that scope, as the, as the, you know, client's needs uh, mm -hmm. come up, I see three to five years down the road, you know, we're, we're into the research um, phase of, of uh, food service. We're able to, you know, work with a, a great marketing company now. So we're able to literally end to end help a client through the architecture to photography, food styling, marketing, mm -hmm. and getting their concept on the ground. But um you know, one of the big things that that I've started um, actually in the last month or so is um, a new corporation that is more so focusing on coaching chefs and food service industry. And really, that's not from a standpoint of like, you know, anybody can learn business strategies um, mm -hmm. and, and operational strategies. That's more for, you know, that's more for supporting the the... 300 some odd thousand chefs and uh, plus, you know, food service workers out there that are really going through a tough time and just trying to balance it all. Yeah. I, as I said, I've, I've been blessed with balance. Um, I can, I feel like um, mm -hmm. I can at least help some people through that stuff. I, I do think that's, that's a great point. I think most successful chefs at some point have a shift in perspective um, mm -hmm. and they have 
I don't know if it's innate or you been part of the personality trait or it's something a skill set you develop, but I think something that really sets them apart from the rest of the people in the kitchen is their ability to um, set aside the stress of the moment or the stress of the event or whatever that is, take a step back and effectively prioritize next steps, execution, yeah. uh, and those types of things. And if you can give that to somebody five years earlier in their career or whatever that is, you can, I mean, that's the, that's the potential to really change someone's career absolutely. path drastically, which is absolutely, I love it. That's a very, very cool thing. And, and I guess, you know, on that topic and then that, that really brings us to what we jumped on to talk about today, which is mm -hmm. what's so different about the modern chef compared to, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So if you look at, you know, everyone's culinary career, like we said, they're very unique. Everyone comes from a different place and has had different experiences, but you know, there are some consistently consistencies historically in how chefs have been trained, how they approach food, those, those types of things, but they're changing and they're evolving. And I guess, you know, asking you, if you looked back um, 10, 15, 20 years ago, whatever that number is chefs then to now, like what are the biggest differences in that role and that skill set? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good good question. I mean, I think from a leadership standpoint, first and foremost, you know, the uh, leading with an iron fist thing has completely uh, had to go go out the um, go out the window. I mean, I've worked for chefs that literally would uh, terrorize the the wait staff, and that was their way of keeping balance and you know keeping My, uh, things. Yeah, my chef yeah. used to burn me with a frying pan uh, oh, yeah, to, that, to to get your attention. He'd just walk up to you and on your arm. <laughs> that, those are uh, yeah. Uh, chef tattoos. That's what we call those. Um, <laughs> yeah. Does, yeah. Doesn't happen anymore. Doesn't happen anymore. And if it did, you know, I mean, like that's the kind of mental, um, <laughs> mental, uh, just, you know, yeah. thing that's really going to hurt. Um, that's really going to stick with somebody, but, and what did that really do? Right. And yeah, it may have got you to go a little faster, but mm -hmm. I used to have a chef. Um, and this was kind of the, the next step in the, in the, the newer, gentler iteration mm -hmm. of something like that, yeah. maybe. Um, Some may say better. <laughs> may, may say better, exactly. But um, once we would get the uh, the station set up for dinner service, um, if I had to walk back to the cooler for anything, mm -hmm. he would tell me to count my steps. And uh, ultimately, whatever the steps were, and this was a giant kitchen, so it could be like 200 steps or whatever, he'd tell mm -hmm. me I owe him a dollar for every step. Basically, you know. Yeah. I was now on his time, right? Also mm -hmm. heard of chefs literally duct taping other people's feet to the floor once their station is set up and figure it out if you don't have it. It's, uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a fun industry, isn't it? <laughs> it? It is one of those things where that, but that was the standard. That was, yeah. it was one of those things where, and you know, th this is one of the reasons I feel like and I had a conversation about this last night where, um, Historically, I think women in in food service and specifically in the kitchen have had to adopt a, you know, hard, you know, cold mentality just to get through because mm -hmm. that the standard that was put on people and the way that chefs, some chefs, not all, but some chefs corrected and addressed their staff were so right. uh, aggressive. I mean, how is and, and I think for the better that that's changing and has changed. But where is it now? Like how if you take away those that ability from chefs to burn or duct tape or whatever right, that is right. in order to motivate in their minds, how do you do it effectively by, you know, today's standards, today's um, viewpoint? 
Yeah, that's a it's a fair fair question because what we're talking about ultimately is leading by fear versus leading by motivation, right? And so mm-hmm. fear fear was the was the ultimate motivator uh, to get the team or the kitchen or the the you know front of the house staff to kind of do what you wanted, but ultimately you know, and we've seen this um, in other industries where they're understanding that your values are really what people want to work with you for, right? Your values, mm-hmm. yes, your your expertise and your um, and how well you do what you do, but. You know, we know now that our team is going is apt to go a lot farther if we are motivating them and coming alongside them mm-hmm. uh, through the journey and and asking their opinions and ultimately you know get that culture of uh, inclusion built into even the kitchen, right? Yeah. Um, that way you know and and once from a business side once you understand that. The second you leave the kitchen, everything's going, they're going to do whatever the heck they want to do if you don't have their respect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. it, that from a business sense makes a heck of a lot more sense. Well, let me get them, let me get them on my side versus let me, you know, push them to where I want to, I, I want to see yeah. this go. So um, I think that that's a, that has been a major shift over the last 10, 15 years. And is that, does that make the role harder? And, and I don't mean to open a can of worms by saying mm. any chef at any period of time has had it easier or harder, but is that is that a harder management style or just different or, or you know, what is it? It's a good question. I think it depends on the individual. I really do. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, I think that ultimately it, it is easier because you're more, you're more in tune with your team, mm-hmm. right? You're more, you're more dovetailed to use that expression to with what's happening in your team members' lives. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, this isn't the, Hey, I can't work every, every other Thursday because I have something else going on. Right. This is more the, uh, you care for the individual and you want to see them grow. So you're pouring back into your teammates Mm -hmm. and they in turn will, you know, um, they in turn will be able to, uh, help you get to where you want to be. So you're, yeah. you're a mentor, you're, you're mentoring them versus, you know, um, pushing them. And I, yeah. and I think that that, yeah, I think that I, to, to your question though, that for some that's easier than, than others. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's fair. Cause I think, you know, every, every chef has their own, you know, just like every other employee in every other industry kind of has their own personality profile and, and skill mm-hmm. set that lends towards, towards different uh, strengths and leadership. But, you know, I guess switching a little bit from, you know, where chefs are in leadership into, you know, the main focus of their role, which is food. Mm. For a chef, one of the biggest challenges has always been, how do you tell your story through food? Because that's, that's what it is. Every good meal is backed by an amazing story, but that's different now. How has the storytelling of food changed, uh, you know, in recent years? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, first, I would say, first, I, I guess I would say like the, the idea of everybody's story is different. So every story mm-hmm. telling experience should be different. I think that there's a lot of, uh, homogenized versions that, mm-hmm. you know, have, have kind of come into the, 
uh, QSR world of being able to, right? Or, or, yeah. And I don't mean to pick on QSR, but just the tell the story quickly, get it out as quickly as possible. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a lot of times it would be a greenwash or, or you know, a uh, 10,000 foot level of a story. Mm-hmm. So the food ultimately becomes some kind of amalgamation, right? Of, of what people think that story is. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you really go down, get down to, you know, um, what the story of the food is and how you can tell it, it really does come down to people are going to number one, look at who the chef is, what their, what their overall, um, philosophy, social, social responsibilities, philosophies, right. Um, who they are as a person. I mean, whether it's looking at them on Instagram and trying to figure out, you know, like, well, are they, are they actually walking the walk and talking the talk? Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like, you know, what we, sustainability always comes into into question there, but also fair purchasing practices, um, you know, ultimately uh, how, how the balance, again, there's that word of how do you run a business, but also be a good human? How do you run a business, but also tell your story (laughs) authentically, right? Mm -hmm. Because, Hey man, I love tacos and I love Mexican food, but there's no heritage there. For me yeah. right so that's not really my story unless i start doing fusion mm-hmm. but if you talk to somebody like um great buddy of mine norman van aiken mm-hmm. who's you know um who is uh basically key west miami and he exu- he is just that is his whole vibe and mm-hmm. has been for 30 40 years right it's it's a much different story going from someone like that to um, you know, uh, to, to just maybe like a franchise yeah. kind of situation. Um, there's, a, there's a level of credibility behind it because, you know, you, you see the person that's passionate in it and you're buying into their personal brand as much as you right. are the food. Yeah. And again, that authenticity of the flavors and the ingredients and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the care and the love of, you know, purchasing the ingredients, picking the ingredients, um, working with the community in order to, to source those ingredients. Um, I mean, it, it's a fabric that's woven, not just on the menu, but, uh, certainly around them. Yeah. And, and is it, you know, the ingredients have always been important and, and telling the backstory of those, but has it, is the emphasis on, their origin, you know, the story of how they procured, you know, there was, there've been trends like farm to table and all those things that we've seen over the recent mm-hmm. years, but do those hold as much weight? Do they hold more weight now? Or is it, is it simply um, something that's fading into the background? Sure. I, I would say that again, it would really have to do with the, the chef and the individual, mm-hmm. but for me personally, I mean, it is, it is more important than ever. Right. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we know supply chain issues, and um, what? you know, no. uh, right? I've exactly. Not heard um, that. There's but a little okay. thing like <laughs> called a recession, you know, going on, and, and things ballooning in price and what have you. Um, but <laughs> what? Exactly, crazy. Um, it, it really makes things like biodiversity, um, you know, purchasing local, sustainable, uh, and 
you know, hyper local when, when you can do it um, a lot more, a lot more important. I mean, mm -hmm. this whole concept of utilizing something other than the five uh, major fish, right. That, that everybody has to purchase mm -hmm. starting to look at stepping out and, and looking at aquaculture and, and trying to figure out, you know, like um, how can you menu more of those kind of things or how can you menu a, a, uh, a smaller portion of something that just happens to be, you know, uh, a easier for you to get B more authentic to your story. And then C, um, it, you know, really does tell the story of the, of your food and, and your lineage. Um, I think that that's more important now than, um, than just getting, you know, just getting ingredients up the back of a, a of a giant box truck. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in, in looking at how that's changed and, and how the focus of ingredients has changed and leadership has changed, if we look at it through the lens of culinary schools mm. in the workforce, you know, not saying you have to go to culinary school to be a great chef. I don't, I don't think you do by any means. I think it helps, but everyone has, again, their own thing. But is there a, a change that's needed or is happening already in the way that culinarians up and coming are being trained you know are, are there different mm. skills that are being emphasized versus say when you know when i went to culinary school or something like that which right. was probably like two weeks ago i'm so young and spry. <laughs> right yeah. exactly sure sure um well yeah i mean first off i would say you know, the the techniques are always going to be the the cornerstone of what they're teaching at culinary schools right um mm -hmm. understanding techniques understanding entomology of a lot of uh uh, of a lot of, you know, what, what is Escoffier or who was Escoffier and how does mm -hmm. it kind of play into now? Um, I think the, the biggest differences that are happening now is there's a lot bigger uh, emphasis on nutrition, number one, yeah. um, which thank goodness for that. Um, yeah. And then number two, go ahead. I, I, was no, just no, say, I, was, I, I had just had a memory of, you know, my nutrition class in culinary school and I loved culinary school and, and, um, I, I just remember vividly, like, you know, the one thing I remember was like, they gave us like a, one of those BMI scales that 20 years ago were about as accurate as, you know, <laughs> wishing, um, right. and, and, you know, there's like emphasis on stuff like that. We're like, I don't know. This is, no, I mean, this is the core memory I should have formed from this. <laughs> I love it. No, I mean, but honestly, the, the, like we said, the whole reason this came, this conversation came to light was you know, chefs now have to be the expert in that as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So they, they need to have at least a baseline of nutrition fundamentals that they can speak to, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, I'm not saying just if they're going to be healthcare chefs or what have you, but a lot of chefs are going that way. Mm -hmm. um, and just for you to be able to um, understand, you know, labeling, for instance, yeah. and understand how your cooking is going to, you know, it's not all just about the art, the, the artistry at this point. It's, you know, what are you doing to put into the world that's going to, you know, make people sick or make people well um, yeah. and functional foods and better for you is, you know, is so important, especially after the pandemic. Um, I mean, I believed in that philosophy so much. I married a dietitian. So, nice. you know, I just, there you go. I saw I was lacking a skill set, had to close the gap there. And that's right. 
kidding. I love you, you honey. I know you're going to listen you, to this. <laughs> do you ever get the evil eye when you're like trying to, you know, uh, enjoy a, a donut or something? No, we love them. We no? eat donuts okay, all the nice. time. It's, I, it's I moderation in our house. My, uh, <laughs> my wife's philosophy and all that is it's not good or bad. It's, it's moderation and, and not jumping yeah. to extremes. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, and I think that's the, and that's the, one of those things that, you know, I think previously and, and maybe in older generations or previous teachings, it was not effectively communicated that, you know, some foods were inherently bad versus foods that are inherently right. good. And and it's about balance, like restricting yourself from something like that is in a lot of ways less healthy than just allowing yourself to have it, but not constantly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I would agree wholeheartedly. Um, well, plus donuts are delicious. So. <laughs> plus, well, right. And, you know. You gotta, you gotta know, you gotta know what delicious tastes like. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, we're, <laughs> there you go. how can you be a great chef? That. Yeah, exactly. you, you can't find it somewhere. So I, it's, so they're, you know, they're addressing things a little bit differently. Do they need to find a better way to stay educated on trends? Like, what do you do? What do you, and what would you suggest? I think other culinarians do to stay on top of trends and stay educated and really see what's right. next. Yeah. Um, it's a great, I mean, it's a great question. Uh, obviously, you know, you can, you can uh, pick up your phone and look at ticky tacky, right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. <laughs> scroll True. through and, and follow the people that you, um, that you have, uh, that you have some, you know, interest in what they're doing or their story, or, you know, really, if they're in the hot spots of mm -hmm. culinary meccas, right, that's where the trends are normally going to go through. Um, there's, you know, there's amazing, uh, National Restaurant Association does a good job of putting together, you know, a trends list for each year. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, some of those, some of those um, publications or, or what have you, you know, are, are pay to play or their aggregates of what's, what's being typed into a, a search bar. So just be careful of which ones you're, you're yeah. looking at there. Um, because that's not necessarily what is on trend. It's just what people, you know, uh, it's just keywords picked out of a, picked out of a thing. Let me, um, this magazine right here, mm -hmm. plug for, uh, you know, this is flavor in the menu, top uh -huh. trends. No, oh, okay. right. So, um, this is a free publication that you can get um, literally that, you know, every month either to your email or they'll send you these um, to your, to your snail mail. But the whole idea of like, then you're able to really see what is on trend and there's industry experts and chefs mm -hmm. writing about um, what's happening. Uh, this is a great resource. And I, I think it's underutilized. I think that they're, they're, um, I yeah, will, the fact uh, that it's, it's gorgeous and it's free so we'll link it we'll link it when we when we post this because yeah people need and you know it's it's resources like that people don't know exist or don't don't think about and and one thing that you know not to be a blatant plug for shfm but you know national conference is coming up yeah and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording you know one of our one of our goals and hopes is to put better emphasis and, and longer term emphasis on the culinary part of so much that we do. So mm -hmm. we have a wonderful evening in the beginning where, you know, top chefs in our industry from some of the biggest names, you know, take a significant chunk out of, out of their schedule to set aside and show us what's possible in terms of um, the quality of food that could be presented in any format and, and showing us that 
you know, just because you're outside of your typical kitchen or your comfort zone doesn't mean that your quality is impacted. So there's a, there's a huge skill level there uh, that's being showcased, you know, I guess not to put you on the spot, but a question for you would be, you know, in your ideal world as being someone who's, who's been there, you've presented to us and, and served some wonderful food in the past, you know, what would you do differently to keep chefs more at the forefront of something like an SHFM mm-hmm. conference or uh, really, you know, any of those conferences where they're utilized and appreciated, but then the conference kind of moves on. What do we do to just keep them front and center for, for at least a little while longer? Yeah. Um, so remembering the uh, remembering the um, the event, uh, it it was a good opportunity for some recognition. Kind mm-hmm. of, I think it was either prior to the meal. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. That you know there was a conference going on, and, and all of these chefs, and, and this was always my my biggest um, Achilles heel. You, you know, uh, working with large organizations where it's like, well. You've got, you've got a conference going on that is about the food service industry, but the chefs are, you know, in the kitchen, not getting the benefit of the, of the education or the topics or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that, you know, the, part of that may be that they, they may not want to be um, opt into all of them, but I think that surely there needs to be some, um, some chef centric, some food centric, yeah. uh, you know, items that are within the conference itself. But I also feel like, you know, being able to have those chefs tell their story in a unique way, whether it's through video and, you know, we have an opportunity. So SHFM, the, the, um, as I recall, the opportunity that you would have if you have maybe seven, eight people on a, on a team. Mm-hmm. Right. All of these people have, as we've already alluded to, a, a unique background of how they got into culinary, who they are and, you know, what their hopes and dreams are and all the all the uh, all the things that make it a human interest story, but also about food. So mm-hmm. what if um, they were interviewed for, you know, a one minute uh, reel and before the conference uh, or dovetailing one of the conference um subjects, you know, you're playing these reels and getting to know the chefs that are, 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 uh, bringing you this food. And then you have this relationship, this relationship beyond just, you know, Hey, I saw that chef, uh, scooping up the, you know, the, the Brussels sprouts that evening (laughs) or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, You, you, you have an emotional and like a, an almost personal attachment to them before you've eaten, eaten their food. And I think that would be, you know, it's an interesting, dynamic too. And how, how does that affect the food itself? Meaning, you know, your, your attachment to it and where you're focused on during that event and what you want to try. Cause you saw someone's video and, you know, you feel like you resonate better with them or you saw someone else's and maybe you had a different impression. That's uh, cause that is a big part of, you know, we talked about this earlier and I think it kind of brings it all full circle, you know, chefs today. And, and I think in, in some extent they always have been, but it's, you're selling a personal brand. You know, mm-hmm. your, your food is the item you're delivering, but you're getting people to buy into it by having them follow you on social media or read about you on the restaurant website or wherever that is. Um, and people are buying into the personality behind the food and the belief system behind the food as well. And 
you know, that applies to not just chefs, but, you know, big organizations, food service operations, you know, people buy into the philosophy there as much as they do uh, the culinary team and the cuisine. So absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, anytime a client comes to me, the first thing I do is I uh, Google the CEO and figure out whether I would, you know, go have a beer with this person, mm -hmm. right. Or, or yeah. whatever it is. And, and I think that that, you know, it's a lesson learned from uh, kind of the millennials generation and what have you, but that they will not do business mm -hmm. with a company that is not, you know, um, socially responsible or, or kind of line up to their um, belief systems and yeah, their belief values. systems. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, so your feedback has officially been heard by the planning committee because they'll, they'll hear this and I'm part of it. So I'll make sure that we, nice. we do everything we can. And, you know, I, you know, big part of, um, all the planning committees is always, you know, what's next and moving forward and, you know, getting, making sure that the voices that need to be heard are heard. So I think this was, you know, leveraging a great platform for that. Uh, even if you're cool. not in the room, you're now in the room with us. Uh, I like it. I like so it. yeah, I just want to say, you know, thank you for taking time out of your day, out of your busy schedule and all the projects you're working on to, to jump on and, and just show us what's different in the culinary world and kind of just recenter, I think our membership and our listeners as to, to how priorities have changed and what's most important to chefs and what they see coming, I think, in the future. And you know, the the one question we always end on that I think is fun is if you had the opportunity to reach back through time and have a quick conversation with, you know, the Chris just starting out his culinary career, you know, not even a dishwasher yet, what would you tell him? You know, what's one thing you would say to that Chris that hasn't seen the things that you've seen yet? Sure. Um, easiest way that I would uh, put this is that you you ultimately would need to um, hold on one second. I'm sorry. I, I'm going <laughs> I'm, I'm to need to talk to you afterward. All right. Sorry, uh, for, for ours just listening, that's family. That's just yeah. Life. That's family. That's life happening. In the door. Um, all good. So. What was the middle part again? So I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, I'm kidding. Man. Um, no. So what I would say to them ultimately is a, a couple of things, you know, through your career, you're going to get, you're going to have a lot of, uh, you're going to have a lot of speed bumps. You're going to have a lot of things that, you know, you really need to decide whether or not, are you chasing money? Are you chasing the, uh, the love of what you're doing? Mm -hmm. The biggest the biggest advice that I would give myself at that point is to realize that, you know, and, and I love this stat. Um, I use it frequently. 85% of everything that we are worried about today as humans never happens. So all of our energy that wow. we're anxious about is literally our brain tricking us into thinking about something that could happen that will likely never happen. So wow. imagine if we put all of that energy into being huh. ourselves, being authentic and being the best version of ourselves that we can be the, you know, the yeah. sky's the limit. Wow. All right. That's, that's a good way to end. I like it. I dig it. Cool. <laughs> I wish I got that advice many, many years ago. Right. Exactly. <laughs> probably, I'd probably have more hair. So. All right. <laughs> well, Honestly, this was great and something that very much needed to be heard. So, you know, um, I appreciate you taking time out of your day, jumping on with us. And uh, I would say this was a much needed conversation. So thanks for bringing it to the table. My pleasure. My pleasure, Michael. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Served by SHFM, your food service hospitality podcast. Please keep in mind that the views and opinions expressed on today's episode are not necessarily those of SHFM or any of its members.